check. Make them little money. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com, and we might just help you. Thank you for all listening in the Pete the Planner radio network. That's not an official thing, but there's a bunch of affiliates, and uh, we appreciate you listening. And why we, I mean my friend Damian Dunn, Vice President of Advice at Your Money Line and Hey Money. Uh, Happy pre-Thanksgiving, Dame. I am working, making sure that uh, I've got plenty of room for the feast. I guess it's not actually going to happen since we are now back pretty much in quarantine. Well, I hope everyone stays safe. And no, the Thanksgiving is not canceled. Christmas is not canceled. Your holidays are not canceled. We're just trying to look at them differently this year for everyone's safety. That is not endorsed by the CDC. I just want to get back to normal. So everyone just chill out and stay at home. Damn, here's the first question. Financial advisor fees. Dear Pete, I'm located in Indiana. What is a reasonable fee for a fee-only advisor? What services should I expect for that flat fee? I've seen $600 for a two-hour retirement readiness assessment, and I've seen $1,200 a year fee. Ooh, I like this question, and I especially like the examples they gave. So, Dame, I have to say, um, the fact that they're in Indiana sheds a little light on what the pricing should be. I mean, if they were in Manhattan or San Francisco or something like that, the fees would be astronomical. Um, Hmm. What do you think, Dame? So let's uh, compare to another way that you might normally pay a financial advisor. That's based off of the assets that that advisor manages for you. So that could be anywhere from, you know, uh, eight tenths of a percent or to uh, all the way up to I've seen and heard of 2% recently, which what? still blows. Yes, blows 2% my mind. 2% of assets? Yes. Okay, and- so let me do some math here for everybody. Let's say you've got a $300,000 portfolio. That means at 2%, you would pay the person $6,000 a year to manage your money. That's $500 a month to manage a $300,000 portfolio. Dame, not only is that salty, that's just completely unnecessary. It's a little stiff, isn't it? Regardless, there are you know two main ways that you're going to pay. Typically, the, the asset-based compensation. Uh, traditionally, the other way was commissions but this fee only, this flat fee advisory uh, fee is, is starting to gain traction. And frankly, I'm happy for that. So what could you expect to be covered for a flat fee? Really depends. If you are looking for something simple like a two-hour retirement readiness assessment, you're going to pay a much smaller fee. Uh, basically, whatever that advisor's hourly rate's going to be, think somewhere in the neighborhood of... Um, 125 to 300 dollars an hour based on how established they are or what their niche may be maybe this person typically works with uh, doctors or uh, people uh, doctors in residency who are, are just starting to get traction maybe they work with small business owners who knows but it's going to depend a lot on who they are how established they are what their niche is and trying to figure out what their time is worth. So if it's simply um, a a per hour or a a flat hourly charge, you're going to get one one fee. If it's something bigger, an ongoing relationship, that yearly fee where maybe you talk to them um, quarterly or twice a year, or maybe you just have access anytime you want, that fee is going to go up quite a bit because there's going to be theoretically more time spent with you. And that's okay because if they are going to be a resource for you, 
goodness, you got to take advantage of it and start uh, asking them all sorts of questions and, and getting their input on things that maybe you just would have done yourself uh, going forward. But to have that uh, oversight available to you to make sure that you're doing right, you're staying on track, and maybe you're accomplishing things that you hadn't considered previously, that depth of that relationship is what you're paying for in that annual fee. So what's reasonable in the state of Indiana? Figure somewhere, like I said before, between $125 to $300 an hour. And uh, the annual fee is going to fluctuate a little bit. So $1,200 a year is going to be on the low side, I, I think. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if if some people are charging close to five grand a year for a flat fee financial advising relationship. That may or may not, by the way, include managing your assets. Yeah, that's where I was going to go, Dame, is that, you know, if you need your assets managed, you answer the question one way. If you don't, then I love the the hourly advisor. I mean, I I would pay a couple couple hours worth of work to have my uh, financial plan put together. And, and let's say you're a do-it-yourself investor and you're actually pretty decent at it, and you and you and you educate yourself on a regular basis. I don't think it's necessary for you to pay. Um, an assets under management fee to an advisor just to get a financial plan out of it when you're actually managing your own financial plan. That That's the distinction of the industry. You are either advising on the investments or you are advising on the strategy of the mechanics of a financial life. And I think it's the confusion between the two that very frankly, very frankly, and at the, at the risk of alienating a lot of friends in the industry, the industry still has not come to terms with. The fact that it's really hard to find an hourly uh, fee-based financial advisor is proof enough that the industry has not quite figured this out yet. It's a lot harder to run that business if you're simply an hourly uh, advisor because you're, um, uh, the pond that you're fishing in has to be much, much bigger. Instead of just looking for maybe 50 families that you want to have a relationship with and get an annual recurring fee from that, uh, that becomes much more predictable income-wise. But if you're going to go hourly, that that becomes a little bit of a challenge, but I want to back up just a little bit on something you said about you know the the benefits of working with an advisor. Honestly, in my perspective, one of the biggest benefits an advisor brings to the table is to keep you from doing something foolish that's going to hurt you long term. Uh, it doesn't take uh, a ton of knowledge to create an investment portfolio. That's that's okay for, for what you're trying to accomplish. I, that comment's spicier than you might think what you just said. I know, but <laughs> there are ways to get really, really fancy investment portfolios and that's okay, it, but it doesn't have to be super complicated. So, All right, I'm calling timeout. One right. of the things that drives me crazy about our industry that we're not really in, that we're on the side of, is when people are like, and we'll have a custom investment portfolio built for you. And it's like, I, people don't need a custom built investment portfolio. In fact, if your advisor is making a custom portfolio for you, that means they have to add more investments on their watch list to keep track of. There shouldn't be custom built for each individual. That doesn't even make sense because an advisor can't uh, efficiently deliver on that and deliver high quality advice in the process. You want your advisor to be really, really well-versed on the uh, maybe 20 or 30 investments that they track on a regular basis. Know them inside and out. Outside of that, I don't care if they, they know anything on, on investments, but, but know those. 
and then know what uh, what proportion I should have of those investments in my portfolio to fit my risk tolerance, my time horizon, and all of my other goals to make sure that it's appropriate for me. That's what customization is. Not necessarily that you've got specifically unique investments in your portfolio. Yeah, well, it's like the there's a commercial. I'm not going to name names. They're like cookie cutter portfolios. I'm like, no, just give me a cookie cutter portfolio. <laughs> but just I'll take it. I don't I don't really care. In fact, how a lot of my own money is managed, uh, I manage some of mine. I use another service and then I use a person. So three different things going on. The service is all cookie cutter. Mine is stupid. And my advisors actually has some intelligence to it. Ah, Dame. All right. So the answer is 125 to 300 bucks an hour if you're going to just sit down and talk about financial strategy which I highly recommend people do. And by the way, some people actually don't even need a technical financial planner to work through their financial challenges, which why we created Hey Money. We're financial problem solvers that don't necessarily uh, deal with investments, but deal with some of the decisions people have to make. You can go to callheymoney.com and uh, sign up. It's less than 20 bucks a month. How about that? Dame, coming up after the break, what are we doing? We're talking about investing or paying down debt. That's what we're doing. Right here on the Pete the Planner Show, I'm Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner Show. Dame, I got a question here from Ryan from Toledo. I believe that's Toledo, Spain or Toledo, Ohio. I have to say, Dame, that I once was in Toledo, Ohio for a business conference and this was in the January or February, and it was probably 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And all I remember about Toledo is there was this just really, really muddy, icy river outside of my hotel, and the, everything was gray. And it's sad because I'm sure Toledo's a, a fine place, but all I think about when I think about Toledo was this dirty, frosty, gray river. Isn't that nice I bring that up? I think their visitors bureau is really happy right now. Hello, Duns. My wife and I have been plotting out our financial goals for 2021, but have hit a little snag in deciding what our overall theme should be for the year. Together, I like having a theme for the year. Dane, what's your theme for 2020? Uh, Paisley, I think. Okay. Together, our incomes are just north of 350000 American dollars, roughly $17,000 take home a month. This is where some listeners go, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Or they stop listening altogether because they're just angry at that person's income. I think if we worried about other people's income a little bit less, we'd be better off. Yes. I'll get off my soapbox. Uh, we're both contributing healthy amounts to our 401k, uh, more than 10%. For the most part, our financial situation is relatively stress-free as we decided to buy a modest home, do not have children, and don't live a lavish lifestyle. Oh, man, that's the, that's the holy trinity right there. Right there. Listen, Thomas Dunn, if you're listening right now inside their house and you just heard me say that, your dad loves you very much. So does your fake Uncle Peter. Uh, the question lies in what to do with our excess liquid cash. We have a savings account with $80,000 in cash that we kick into every month. I mean, before we go too much further, Dame, they got to stop doing that. Uh, well, let's let, oh, the, sorry. let the story play have out. You have you read this question yet? I have. I have not. <laughs> Uh, I've let it grow higher than I normally would due to the unstable situation revolving around the pandemic and wanting the comfort of knowing cash is available. Should any situation arise, they could use the money to clean up that river in Toledo. Good. 
we have two primary sources of debt, a mortgage that has roughly $200,000 left on a $220,000 loan, 4.15% APR, $1,500 a month mortgage, my wife's medical school loans of $310,000 balance with a $2,500 a month payment currently being paid interest-free due to the forbearance on student loans. We carry no other credit card debt and student loans are paid and both cars are debt-free going into 2021. Should I use the XX cash in savings to pay off principal on the existing mortgage and student loans? Or should I take the excess cash out of the extremely low yield savings account and invest that into the S&P 500 or other areas of the market looking for higher returns and continue making my existing monthly payments? Thanks for the show and all you do. Dame, what do you think? I'm going to say something that you might might find um, unpopular. Okay, let me. Uh, so for those watching on Facebook Live right now, I'm going to go with a one shot of Dame's face. Okay, Dame, go ahead. I think you should wait. I, I think he should... Status quo. Just keep doing what you're doing right now for a little while longer. Let's see what this administration has up its sleeve, or the incoming administration has up its sleeve, I should say, for student loan forgiveness. I I have to imagine that a portion of that uh, medical school loan is a federal balance. Uh, and, and if there's going to be some forgiveness, let's just see what happens there. And then on top of that, does she qualify for PSLF? Is that an option? Well, so, for those that don't know what PSLF is, now I've got to jump in as the professional host of the show and and say what that acronym stands for. It's Public Service Student Loan Forgiveness. Public Service Student Loan Forgiveness. It's when you work in the public sector, you work for a nonprofit, and that nonprofit may qualify you to have your student loans forgiven after making standard payments over a 10-year period, and then the remaining balance is forgiven as part of the PSLF program. Damien, I'm not so sure why you didn't want to cover that in in your answer, but go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) I I didn't think I'd have much energy today, but I do. Uh, So this really does set up the conversation, Damien, about the student loan forgiveness that we're going to have in the next segment, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? Very well. I'm with you. I, I think they need more time. I, I, I would uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not. I don't comprehend things I read very well. Wouldn't the first step be to stop saving so aggressively into the savings account and use additional um, discretionary income to put towards any of these concerns, rather than a balance sheet transfer, which draws money out of savings and just pays off debt? I think that's where it will go. Uh, I I'm not dismayed by the fact that they've got $80,000 in a saving account right now. I I think that's fine. I would much rather see them just start diverting uh, what I assume is a significant amount of cash each month towards the student loans and getting rid of those. Uh, I would much rather see them go that direction than opening a a retail brokerage account, non-qualified account, and putting it into the S&P 500 right now. I'd love to see this uh, this couple get their student loans under control before they really start focusing on uh, building assets outside of their uh, employer-sponsored retirement plans. You know, we're getting there already, but I know one of the proposals that seems rather popular with student loan forgiveness with President-elect Biden's you know, administration, which starts in late January, is this idea of 
$50,000 of student loans being what is what is waived, you know, having a, a cap to it. And there's thought that that can actually be done via executive order, which I think is pretty fascinating too. Um, so Dame, if this person has $300,000 in student loans, they can still take some action here with their monthly payments and not touch their savings to, to transfer the savings over to pay off a balance and still not feel like they're getting themselves in trouble by missing an opportunity with student loan forgiveness, right? Yeah, that's all true. If they want to get started on that, they certainly could right now. What my point was is that don't feel like you're backed into a corner where you've got to yeah. make a decision on doing something right now. If, if you want to see how things play out, by all means, see how things play out. Then you can make a, a more informed decision once you know what direction things are going. In fact, I think I just had this conversation this week with with one of the participants that we deal with on trying to figure out which direction are they going to go. And it's it's a not a horrible situation that you're in. You you've kind of got the best of both worlds with not being charged interest on student loans at this point. And then if you want to see how things are going to play out, you can. If you want to be aggressive and go ahead and start taking some of that. Uh, monthly surplus in, in your income, go ahead. I would direct towards the student loans though at this point. And, and if you are, uh, depending on the balance sizes, if there are some private and some public, maybe focus on the private ones right now. The, the chances of all 310 being in, in um, uh, government loans, probably pretty small. But if they are, then you know do whatever you want. But if you have private loans mixed into that 310, I think that's probably where I would start uh, focusing my my extra payments. Yeah, I have to agree with you one hundred percent in that regard. You know, this person is clearly what we call a group three around here. This person is a uh, an orange orange team member. If we want to use some of the your money line lexicon within our offices, that is to say, they're incredibly stable. Um, I, I would I would guess, and let's get into the weeds here, Dame. They will likely have a stability index score of. 87 or more, you know, like it's going to be super high out of a hundred. That is to say it's business as usual. How can you strategically make decisions with your income by leveraging your stability to, to take your life further? And I, I really do think the answer is to get aggressive with whatever private student loans exist within that, that loan portfolio, uh, which buys you time on the federal loans and you know, you've got a lot in savings. I would not move that savings at all over to pay off any debt. Like that always drives me nuts when people use an accumulated amount to then take out a big chunk of debt, especially if you've got really healthy cash flow. Like that's what I would do. So anyway, Dame, coming up after the break, an extensive conversation about student loan forgiveness, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the things that will send angry email our way. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. Back on the Pete the Planner show after a short break. Uh, so, you know, this past week, week and a half, there's been a lot out in social media, out in the media in general, traditional media, if you will, such as radio, about student loan forgiveness. And, and Damien, the talk, the vibe, the heat has increased around this idea that President-elect Biden, once he is the president in late January, will potentially have an executive order that would forgive student loans. Um, and the idea that is being you know, portrayed out in social media is that it will help stimulate the economy and that it, you know, it makes things fair. And, and, and the reality is 
it's just not that simple. It's a really, really complicated topic, like much like many of the topics we deal with today and that people try to oversimplify. Uh, and so I'm just curious on the outset, what, do you, what are your views on this? I know we've talked to our friend uh, Craig Anderson from clearpathcoaches.com. That's clearpathcoaches.com. We talked to him from time to time about this topic because he was in the student loan industry for 25 years. What are your thoughts? I think what we are dealing with, what what people are asking help with is more a symptom of a, a system that isn't serving the customer or the student very well at this point. We know that uh, people aren't able to service their loans for whatever reason. Maybe it's uh, the fact that they didn't get uh, a, a job in the, the industry that they studied for and the, the payments aren't um, compatible with what they're trying to to, to pay off. Uh, maybe they dropped out for whatever reason. Somebody got sick or the money ran out and they had to go take a, a job that uh, isn't going to provide the income that they need to pay off those student loans. So are there some people that could benefit from student loan forgiveness? Yeah, I, I think there absolutely are. For, for no fault of their own, they are struggling with that student loan payment. Are there a lot of people that just want that burden removed so they can reallocate the, that money somewhere else. Yeah. There's a lot of people that just want to get out from underneath that payment and spend money somewhere else. So, uh, I'm still uh, out, uh, on what the right approach here specifically is, but I think it's a conversation worth having. I will say I am for student loan forgiveness for certain groups of people which then you get into the fair and unfair, right? That's where this thing starts to get pretty wild. You hear people right now that are in the media already, and it's political, right? Saying, why should we have hardworking Americans pay for the elite's education? Well, that's, that's a fair criticism if we're talking about a broad student loan forgiveness program that just wipes out everyone's student loan debts. But I don't think that's what would happen. I think it would be a more targeted approach. This idea that, you know, if you know you have $25,000 of student loan debt, you're below a certain income threshold and there, there would be some qualifications, then you're serving the people that need the boost of equity uh, in their lives. I think that is conceivable. Um, but I also think to your point, Dame, this does nothing to address, uh, address the uh, systemic situation going on in terms of the cost of college and that what sometimes feels like a, a treacherous first year experience for a college student that sends people so off into the dark chasm of debt with no degree. I, I think those are the two big issues. College costs keep rising. And then this first year college experience that kicks people out of the system not because it's trying to, because it's just a really hard situation, which then leads to a bigger problem with student loans. We know that the first year, first and second semester, is when most people are going to drop out if they're going to drop out. It makes sense to me to reimagine how college is paid for. If you can make that first year free or significantly reduced in cost and then increase the cost for years two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever it may be, uh, to give people a chance to figure out if college is right for them. You know, if they go and have the time of their lives that first semester and maybe the second semester, and they're like, you know what? I don't think this is going to work out for me. 
they can bow out gracefully with a very, very modest amount of debt, maybe free, who knows, and get on with their lives without having to worry about being burdened down with with uh, debt for something they really didn't get any value out of. If they stick it out, okay, makes sense. You're going to uh, you know, get the loans if, if you need them, and you'll be on a path to get a job that'll help you pay for it. So I, I'd like to see some creativity out of the educational world. Uh, universities, colleges come together. I mean, they're some of the smartest people in the country. There's got to be a better, more equitable way to do this, to get people education who want it, and not punish those who thought they wanted it, but it really wasn't for them. Where do you think fairness comes into this, of this idea that, of course, there will be this population that have got a pretty decent financial life, and that is relative, right? But they've got six-figure income, multiple finished degrees uh, with a lot of student loan debt, but the means to pay it back, if they're left out in the cold here, because this is really meant to target people who you can really flip their life financially, um, what do you say to those people that say, well, well that's not fair. Oh, why, why do theirs get forgiven and, and mine doesn't? What do, you, what do you say to that group? I think we've got to be careful here because there are always circumstances where uh, people who have a bunch of student loan debt, again, for whatever reason that they may be out of their control, can't afford those payments at this point, uh, whether it's some personal hardship or, or whatever the case may be, just not possible. So in general, with people who are um, gainfully employed, um, you know, making a, a good amount of money, I think you pay your bill. I, I think you just pay your bill. There are people who have uh, serious needs in trying to make life for their family work. And those are the people that we need to address first. Now, if we find out in 10 more years or whatever the case may be that there still needs work to be done, we'll address it. But uh, I think you start with uh, the more obvious cases and move forward from there. What do you say to the people that say this isn't fair because I paid off my student loans with a second job and sacrifice? What, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you think to that portion of the conversation, uh, that, that group? Um, five years ago, I would have sympathized with you probably um why five years ago i'm curious i'm not i'm, I'm not busting your chops i'm curious what was five years ago i, I have nothing specific i've just okay. matured in, in views over okay. in, over time certain time periods um i'm looking forward to me maturing over a five-year period i will keep you posted so are we okay um what was the question what about the people that already paid off their education yeah. Um, deals change all the time and, and, and offers that aren't here now could be there in five years and, and deals that maybe you took advantage of previously that weren't available to previous generations. I, it's just the way it goes, man. I, I, I hate to hate to be the guy that says tough luck, but I, I feel like that's a bit of the circumstances. Uh, you, you did what you felt like you had to do, or maybe what you absolutely had to do to make it work. Good on you. Uh, you should be very proud of that accomplishment and tell your kids and grandkids about it for the rest of your life. But uh, there's a new deal potentially on the table. A new deal looking to you. Uh, okay. So we got about a minute left. There's two things I want to hit. One, we have to acknowledge that a, a lot of student loan debt can be attributed to 
uh, actual poor consumer decisions in college by not paying back the student loan rebate check and just using it for for living expenses, frivolous living expenses at times. So that's that's worth noting. Um, and I don't forget my other point, but Dame, that's worth noting, right? Is this idea that some people are going to have loans forgiven that, oh, I remember the other point that I'm going to try to slip in in 30 seconds here. If this happens, this is not going to stimulate the economy immediately within 12. It's that don't make that a part of the argument, student loan forgiveness lobby, because it's it it's insincere. It could shift the reality for people who are really struggling within a couple of years, but it, it's not going to stimulate the economy immediately. Just won't. I agree. Okay, I don't know why I'm arguing with myself. Coming up after the break, we're going to do biggest waste of money of the week. And the news, current events, right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. This week's biggest waste of money of the week, right here on the Pete the Planner Show, is the Zippo Sterling Silver Lighter. Combine Zippo's timeless windproof design with high-end materials and you get this heirloom quality lighter. As the name suggests, the outer case of the lighter is made from pure Silla Sterling silver. It's buffed to perfection, giving it a mere finish, just like Damien's head. It's also one and a half times as thick as a standard Zippo case, yet holds the same dependable components as its more affordable counterparts. Made in the USA. It ships in a hinged velour lined box. Dame, how much do you think a sterling silver Zippo lighter costs? 200 bucks. Oh, I'm sorry, Dame. The answer is 300 bucks. That's a pretty good guess, though. Here's the thing about Zippo lighters. Um, In high school, I bought one. Why? I don't know. It's sort of a high school kid thing to do. I didn't smoke. Like, this isn't like, uh, oh, you must have been smoking the tobacco. No, I don't. I'm not a smoker. But I bought one. Uh, and actually, I used it for work. Long story. I still have that Zippo lighter in my toolbox, which is not a euphemism. It's a box in my garage that holds tools. And uh, it's in great condition. And I think I paid like 20 bucks for it. Why pay $300 for something that would scratch? I don't get it, Dame. Yeah, but do you have lighter fluid so you could actually use it? No, I don't have lighter fluid, but it's really cool. Look, I still. Oh, yeah. Zippo tricks. Ah, Zippo tricks. Dame, what happened in the world of businesses this week? Lots of stuff, but we're going to start with something that's actually interesting. Oh, good. We've all got sign ins that require usernames and passwords. Well, NordPass.com listed the most common passwords of 2020. Oh my gosh. Pete, do you want to take a guess at what the most common password of 2020 is? You got to go with password. No, that is number four though. Okay, how about one, two, three, four? Close, you're on the right track. One, two, three, four, five, six was the most common password used by, well, the numbers that they captured over two and a half million people, which seems low. It's just, these are just the, uh, the people who had their password exposed for some reason. It takes uh, less than a second to crack that password, by the way. Oh, 
Yeah. So uh, other uh, top five passwords, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's number two. Uh, picture one, which I'm not sure why that would picture be. Picture one. Picture one. Picture P-I-C-T-U-R-E one password followed by the ever popular fifth entry, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We are not very complicated people, are we? I'll say my password game needs some work. I'm working on it now. Sometimes I just take the recommended password that my iPhone gives me when I sign up for new accounts. But then the challenge is, Dame, then if you need to go and try to access that same site on your computer, uh, that's hard. Also this week, I don't know if you saw it, uh, Amazon opened an online pharmacy. You've got is... a very Christy Lee vibe from Bob and Tom today when I'll she does the that. news. And I'm digging it. Maybe this is the new way we do the fourth segment. I'll take it. it uh, you know what? It, can we have Christy guest host on, on yes. the fourth segment and just let her read the news to us? I, ca- I could make that happen. She's a wonderful uh, talent. Uh, you, so she could definitely replace you. If you want to see me fangirl out, you make that happen and I will. Oh, I'll make it happen. I, Done. I'll do it for your birthday next year when you're 100. All right, continue. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Retail Colossus opened up an online pharmacy Tuesday that allows customers to order medication or prescription refills and have them delivered to their door in just a couple days. Pete, I don't know. Did you see, did you look at this at all? No, I don't. I, I so I, Amazon bought a company a couple of years ago called Pillbox. Yeah. And the way they uh, ship these drugs out it's pretty unique. They actually come prepackaged so that you take the day's meds out of this little box, tear them off, open the package, and it's right there. It tells you, uh, the, I think, the day and the time that you need to take them, and everything's already just there for you. I, I, for people that take multiple medications, all of the pills that you need to take that that place or that time are, are already in that package. And maybe this is common to some other um, retailers, but there was the first time I'd seen anything like that, and it just made all the sense in the world to me. So uh, CVS, Walgreens kind of had a bad week, at least in the middle of the week. Their their stock prices went down, but Amazon looks like they are going to try and capitalize on yet another industry. Well, can they, uh, which I appreciate, which is great. I love it. But could they just like maybe speed up the COVID testing process? Is Amazon involved with that yet? I, Can't we have them solve that? You'd think they would be somehow. I mean, they'd be able to ship these things to all the other retailers to, to make this happen because it's still taking forever for in some places to get these COVID tests. You know, we're in big trouble, you and I, if Amazon decides to get into the hacky financial advice radio show business. Uh, they couldn't do it as well as us. Yeah, we're, I mean, if you're if you're going for mediocre, Amazon can't do that. Nobody's hackier than us. Absolutely. I actually, I felt like, during the break today, we had a guest on on the live stream, Craig Anderson, Craig P. Anderson, Craig Paul Anderson. The show was better than it could ever be, and it was uh, it really it hurt the show. It just hurt my feelings. What else is going on in the world today, Dave? Uh, despite modest employment gains, women still five and a half million jobs below pre-pandemic level. If you think about that, is it really all that surprising, though? I, with all the demands that are being placed on families these days. Uh, with kids potentially being out of school and whatnot, it typically, typically, I think women feel more of the responsibility to take care of the family than than men do. Now, whether that's right, wrong, right or wrong, it's not surprising to me to see that uh, women being reemployed right now 
is lagging. How about you? Well, I mean, slightly related. It has been a bad year for mail. Very, very well done. I, it pains me to say that, but no, very, I, yeah, I, I, that was well a joke, done. but yes, I, I, I too fear for some of the gains that have been made in terms of workplace equality in, in relation to gender. Uh, we've taken some steps back this year. I mean, we, we even look at some of our colleagues and, and sort of their realities versus, you know, the twins, you and I, our reality. Uh, it's just different. It's, it, it, it's different. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is it, you don't have to look hard to see how the demands are different. Uh, again, whether that's right or wrong, but the responsibilities, unfortunately, are are being maybe unfairly and unjustly put on the shoulders of of the women of the country, and you know they are coming through big time, but at a huge expense to themselves and their careers. So I, I don't know how we start to work our way out of that. Uh, oh, Dame, I, I should warn you, though. Someone on iTunes last week left a review of the show and said that they're sick of uh, me being a social justice warrior. So should we stop or do you want to finish your thought? I, I think social justice warrior is probably the last thing that most people would ever equate with me. So I'm. Okay. Well, that's actually true. Maybe they were just talking about. See, this is your this is your thing. I'm not involved. I know, I, but I'm I'm just looking at things through an objective lens, and I th- I think it is rather unfair. So, what else is in the news? I like this because you just had to keep coming up with the stories, and I just sit here and make jokes about mail. I Which at this point joke. I'm I'm clicking on links, hoping they open. So, and I I, I don't that know. goes against our computer security pro- policy I, at uh, your money line. They were. Dave, let's just end it for this week. Here's the thing. Dame, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. We are going to do a Black Friday show. Okay? We're going to do a Black Friday show. I hope you have a good Thanksgiving. What what dish do you look forward to the most? Uh, Corn casserole, honestly. Okay, sure. For me, it's usually, I do a pretty good turkey. I'm not going to lie. I spatchcock it, take out the backbone, slap it down, butterfly it. It only takes 80 minutes to to roast in the oven. I love my turkey and a caramelized onion cornbread stuffing that I was actually dressing because it's not stuffed into the turkey that's flat. All right, Dame, that's all we have time for this week on the show. I'm sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this was the Pete the Planner Show. <laughs>